Somebody said to me, well, if you're going to make a change, the only one that can make the change is you. You can't wait for somebody else to make the change for you. And I realized at that point, I was like, that's absolutely right. Why am I waiting? Why am I waiting for something to happen to me? I'm the only one that can make that thing happen. Aspiring lawyer Carrie Coos took the opportunity to try out the profession during a stint as a paralegal. But the unorthodox type of support she ended up giving her partner uncovered the career she never knew she was made for. Find out how walking down a path is sometimes the only way to figure out the fit on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. I'm here today with Carrie Coos, and we are going to talk about walking down paths to see how they feel. So I'm glad you walked onto this path with us today, Carrie. Nice to have you here with us. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. So I start this the same way every time. And I ask, when we were in college, who were you? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become? So that is such an interesting question because I can tell you that I was wrong on both counts. When we started college, I was very convinced that I was a future veterinarian. When we left college, I was very convinced, equally as convinced, that I was a future district attorney and attorney just in general. And as of today, I am neither of those, not even close. I definitely took a path that I didn't even know existed when we left Hanover in 1996. Already, we have a very interesting set of changes. So when you came in as a future veterinarian, what was the pathway to make you think by the end of that four years, oh no, I'm an attorney. And I will say I met you somewhere in the middle of that because the veterinarian is new to me. The attorney part, I recognize that part of (laughs) who you thought you were. But tell me what that transition was already. Letting go of the future as a veterinarian was very early in our freshman year. I think I took some classes in chemistry and I was like, you know, this is just not my cup of tea. And while I was really unhappy in the science world, I was also taking government classes and history classes. And I was reminded of my love of both of those subjects that I had in high school And I continued to pursue the government degree and was actually ended up being a double major in both of those. But it was really, I took a course on the Supreme Court in our government department and I loved it. I thought it was the coolest thing. And Professor Mather at the time, I still remember her because just the the way she approached the class was so inspiring to me. And she actually, as our final, had us write a Supreme Court decision that had not yet been decided by the court, you know, look at both sides, determine what the decision would be, and then she would follow back up with us when the court decided, and I decided what the court did. And it was a very, like, 80% of the class went the other direction and 20% of us went this direction, and I just thought that that was the neatest thing. So that's when I decided to do a senior thesis on the Supreme Court, I was not only going to be a prosecuting attorney, but I was eventually going to be a Supreme Court justice. So I guess that I changed my answer. I was going to, I was a future Supreme Court justice. Um, 
I'm not right now. <laughs> I get by it. The way. Yeah. <laughs> right? exactly. Some of them are old, so we have some time. We have time. <laughs> there's there's still a chance. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so that was the transition that I I took from being a veterinarian to being a future Supreme Court justice was actually at at Dartmouth, and then yeah. Yeah, Didn't then life. Neither of those happened. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so talk to me about that senior spring. You're finishing up a thesis that says this is who I'm going to be. Though I know that you were practical and knew that that would not be your first step into chambers. So what what was the path right then? Right. So senior spring, finishing up that thesis. And I was applying to law school and assuming that I was going to go to law school upon graduation. And then I actually ended up getting waitlisted to law school. So I said, you know, well, okay, I guess I'll take a different track. And the way I tell the story when people ask me, I say, you know, I I was practical. I decided that I was going to test drive the legal profession before I spent a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money on law school and going into a profession that that ended up not being for me. That was not the reason, but it, <laughs> that's the way <laughs> I tell story. the story now. Mm-hmm. That was the plan. And then so I after graduation, I started working at a law firm in Boston. And so I was a paralegal for, for three years, kind of test driving that, that career. And what did you think? Was it, <laughs> was it what you thought it would be? So it was not... But it also wasn't something that I hated. But I think what was interesting to me was that it brought me down a different path that I didn't know existed. So I think one of the things that I found about life in general, really, was you don't always know what's in front of you until you've started down the path. And you have to kind of follow where the path leads you. Because when we graduated, I I really thought that, you know, my parents were teachers, so I could be a teacher, I could be a lawyer, I could be a doctor, or I could do corporate recruiting, which to me seemed like there was a lot of IT and a lot of consulting, whatever that meant at the time. I mean, what did I know as a 22-year-old? What What is consulting, really, right? Those are the paths that really seemed most obvious to me. And I didn't know that there was a path called nonprofit fundraising. So while I was at this law firm, my boss at the time, who was a partner in the law firm, decided that he wanted to have a golf tournament for his favorite charity. And if you know anything about law partners and paralegals, you know that the law partner was not planning the golf tournament (laughs) for his favorite charity. His paralegal was planning the golf tournament for his favorite charity. And I loved doing it. It was so rewarding. It was, it kept me excited about what I was doing every day. And it was the question of, do I enjoy writing answers to interrogatories or scanning medical records for something that looked out of place? Or did I really like feeling like I was making a difference, raising money for a worthwhile cause? So that was my exposure. And my boss at the time still tries to get me to come back. He's like, come back. You could do this. I'm like, you know what? You introduced me to something else that's so much more fun and so much more rewarding. Why would why would I come back? Sorry, Chris, I'm not going to do it. So that's kind of, again, the nonlinear path of how I got to where I am now. There's no way I would have guessed it even. Right. You had to do it. You had right. to do it. So right. you did. But that was as someone's volunteer or volunteered person for a one-off event. 
How did you make that leap to say, okay, I thought I was going to spend all this money and now I'm going to go do this other thing? What was your first job? And you haven't had many because you've stayed in one organization for a very long time. So tell me what the hop was to get to where you are today. Yes. So I think I had made that decision that the legal profession was not for me and that I really wanted to go into the nonprofit world. And then there was another serendipitous moment as well while I was still in Boston, where I went to the gym one day and I picked up a brochure to run a marathon in Dublin. And I was like, well, hey, I could go to Dublin. That'd be fun. So I started training for this marathon for a different charity than I I work for now. And I thought that was really great, too. And I was writing the newsletter for our marathon team, and I was connecting with people. So filed that away a little bit is something that was kind of in my experience as well. And then I was moving to D.C., leaving Boston. So I needed to find a new job. So I was like, all right, this is my big chance for my career move, you know, three years into my career. <laughs> so I decided to change fields and I started looking for jobs in nonprofit. And I applied for a job with that charity that I ran a marathon for. And then I also applied for a job with that charity that I planned the golf tournament for, which is St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And St. Jude gave me the opportunity to be a part of building their marathon program. So this this marathon that I had just run and had this great experience and marrying it with this great cause that I had planned a golf tournament for the entire time that I was at the law firm in Boston. And I thought, okay, this is it. This is this is my, my chance to jump in. So that's where, you know, I was moving to DC and, and changing my career. And I, I ended up in this with St. Jude, which Really, I feel like I kind of stumbled in at the top of the mountain. But, you know, it was a cause that I completely believed in, a mission that I found really inspiring of finding a way to play a role in fighting childhood cancer. And I've never looked back. And here I am. I I don't know how somebody actually said a few weeks ago to me that the days are long, but the years are short. (laughs) And sometimes that's how I feel like, man. How is it only Tuesday? But then I'm like, man, how has it been 22 years that I have been with this organization? And it's been an amazing ride. And I can attest that that is amazing because having been in nonprofits in various capacities and various different types, there is a sense of urgency all the time and a sense that even great breakthroughs and progress. You said you came on the top of the mountain, meaning like this is a great organization and they are so established, but they're, it's like part of a mountain chain, right? So there will never be, well, hopefully there will sometimes be an end to childhood cancer, but there's all, you know, in our lifetime, there is going to be some other hurdle. And that can be both inspiring and really hard to deal with day after day. So it's amazing, yes, that you've been there. What is your strategy for making things new or making that gargantuan task of like the mission not feel overwhelming? Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting point because there have definitely been people on my teams that it's clear that the role that they're in doesn't excite them. It is something that 
that that they don't enjoy, but maybe they're not good at, but they say, you know, I'm going to stick with it because I believe in this mission so much. And I'll say, it's great to believe in the mission. There's a way to still support the mission, but not have to do a job that you don't enjoy. Um, and I think that's also why it's very hard for people to leave sometimes because they, they feel so committed to the mission. I think I've been very lucky over the years that I believe in the mission and, and have met so many children along the way that have kept me inspired. But at the same time, I've always, I've had the opportunity to grow in my role. I've had the opportunity to seek new challenges. And I think that's something kind of in my DNA of what's next? What can I do? What can I fix in a system, in a process? What can I build that's new and make sure that I'm always challenging myself and forcing myself to grow so that I don't get in a rut or burned out. And I've, I've had that opportunity. I, with, with St. Jude, I've lived in three different states. I've taken different roles on different teams. I've led different teams. So I think that I've always had that fluidity, even if I've been with the same organization. The mission is the same, but the, but the roles have been very different. Yeah. And so, you know, those, those internal challenges are as interesting and life-affirming as like the big challenge of, of the goal of the organization. That's great. So yeah. how have you found balance in life? Because I also know, um, even from some of the people that we've interviewed on this show, um, there sometimes isn't as much work-life balance as one might think when it's not, you know, for-profit bottom line. Sometimes it's even worse. Uh, so how do you find the balance? Are there other things that are that draw you and your energies? Yeah, I think I I had a little bit of a, an epiphany about a decade ago. And I think it was right. I, I was going through a hard time in my personal life. And, you know, I think like so many type A personalities that, that you've spoken to on this podcast, you tend to when when one side of your life isn't isn't going so great, you, you throw yourself into your work. Right. I was doing that. My life was changing and I was in this dark place. And the only thing that was keeping me kind of afloat was my job. And then I realized that that also wasn't healthy because I was completely defining myself by my job. While my job was incredibly fulfilling, it also can be very draining. And if you don't have that balance, then, then that's really difficult. And I remember sitting in, in a new apartment by myself thinking, you know, where am I going from here? And if somebody said to me, well, if you're going to make a change, the only one that can make the change is you. You can't wait for somebody else to make the change for you. And I realized at that point, I was like, that's absolutely right. Why am I waiting? Why am I waiting for something to happen to me? I'm the only one that can make that thing happen. So what does that thing look like? And at that point, I decided to start looking at, at other options. It ended up being staying with St. Jude, but leaving the city where I was not happy. Going back to the Midwest, where I swore that I was going to never go back to once I graduated high school and left for college, I went back there and I started to kind of recover and find myself again and figure out who I was again that was the first part of my epiphany is realizing that I needed to make my own decisions about what I wanted to do with my life. And then I also decided that it couldn't all be about work. 
I said to myself, I was like, all right, what does that mean for me? What do I love to do? The answer at that point in time was I love to travel. And I think that came from even starting with with my LSA at Dartmouth and, you know, spending a term in Germany, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, was this great experience and something that I still tell Dartmouth a- applicants when I do alumni interviewing today, that that really defined this love of travel for me. So and I, I was like, well, I don't have a partner at this point in time, but what am I waiting for? I'm not going to wait to retire. I'm just going to I'm going to start doing this. So I found a friend and I said, you know, I think you love to travel too. Want to go to the Galapagos Islands? She was like, heck yeah, let's do it. (laughs) So I I made a commitment then to really start exploring and take those vacations that seem like the, you know, once in a lifetime vacations. Why did they have to be like once in a lifetime? And that's where I found that balance. It was I always had something to look forward to. I always had a trip. I always had something that gave me a focus other than my job. Yeah. That was kind of the start of that. And then I, when I asked myself that question again, I said, I had just taken this job where I could work from home. And I said, if I can work anywhere that I live, why do I live in Michigan? Find a place that I really want to live. And that's what brought me to Colorado. So again, that whole non-linear path to getting getting where you belong. And you know, I'm not sure this might not be might, might not be the end, but it still feels pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds it. And so with that, I mean, you said early you were sure that you were going to be a future veterinarian. You were sure you were going to be a district attorney and you were wrong. So if you were to go back and have a conversation with 22-year-old Carrie and said, by the way, this is where you're going to end up, what do you think she would have said to you? I think she probably would have said, is that a thing? (laughs) (laughs) But I don't think I would have believed it. First of all, I also believe that when you're 22 years old, there's a whole lot you don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even though you think you really, you have it together. You are good. But I think that you have to, you have to live it in order to understand what's out there for you and understand that fit. Because I don't, I don't think you do. I, I don't think you have that vision at 22 to be able to even map out what things look like when you're 32, when you're 42, when you're 52. You have to live it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are an example of that. And I'm so glad to hear the smile in your voice when you say, I don't know if this is the end, but this is great for now, um, because that's where we all should all be feeling or at least trying to get there. Um, so I will take inspiration from you on that point. And it's just so great to reconnect. So thanks so much for sharing the story with us. Mary. Absolutely. Looking forward to hearing more stories. Dude, these are great. That was Carrie Coos, who spent over two decades working in various programmatic and fundraising capacities for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, all without knowing that the field of nonprofit fundraising existed before she started doing it. Just as Carrie had to walk down her road a while to figure out if it lead somewhere she wanted to go, most of our guests get on their roads without having a true sense of their final destination. We're so grateful for all of our listeners who have revisited our guests' roads with us and are ever more thankful that you return for more stories each week and share the word about the podcast with others. You can point folks to roadstakenshow.com 
And please be sure to rate, follow, subscribe, and review on your podcasting platform of choice so that others can find their way to me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, and our friends on more episodes of Roads Taken.